This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host and founder of the Lotox Life, and I am thrilled to have you here with me today to kick off the next century of fabulous conversations and interviews with incredible world-leading specialists in their fields. It is such a joy to put on this podcast for you guys, and I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for being here for the first 200 shows, and here is to the next 200 shows. Speaking of shows, of course, we have one today, and you'll remember that just before show number 200, I had Dr. Dale Bredesen back to discuss the latest research in the prevention, the detection, and the reversal of um, Alzheimer's disease, Um, and it was a fascinating chat. If you haven't listened to the two shows that I've done with Dale now, show number 199 and also 143, I think it was, oh gosh, I hope I'm leading you down the right path there, but a quick Google, Low Tox Life Podcast, Dale Bredesen, will get you straight to both of the shows. Uh, You have to listen. Everyone needs to know what uh, is at play when it comes to the various uh, causes that are emerging of Alzheimer's. It's not just about a genetic predisposition. It is many environmental uh, and health factors as well. And the research is overwhelmingly showing us that in the very early stages before a diagnosis, there is plenty of potential to reverse cognitive decline and of course, to improve patient outcomes if you are further along in the disease and you do have a diagnosis. So it's just amazing that we have this now. And I just wish everyone knew that Dr. Dale Bredesen existed. Uh, The new program, the book he's brought out, well worthwhile uh, grabbing yourself a copy as well, especially if you have identified cognitive decline in your family. I have had an experience with cognitive decline in my own family with my grandmother dying uh, of uh, Alzheimer's and dementia. And uh, I have experienced cognitive decline myself, which I've been able to reverse uh, due to mold illness and SIRS, more commonly known as uh, chronic inflammatory response syndrome to an environmental toxin, in this case, mold. Uh, And of course, different species of Mold produce different types of mycotoxins, which affect people in different ways. The research is starting to show us, but I knew something was up when I was having all sorts of strange neurological issues, twitches, tremors, uncontrollable muscle spasms. Uh, and then of course, starting to forget my words, uh, things like, Oh, can you pass that, um, the, uh, can you pass me my, uh, the mobile phone, you know, (laughs) 41 year old woman should not be forgetting how to say, can you pass me my phone please? And so we really need to tune into these and we can't call, uh, things senior moments as we get into our fifties, sixties and seventies. This is cognitive decline. It's not a senior moment. And we can actually start to pinpoint 
what might be at play, whether it's severe nutrient deficiencies like a B12, for example, very important to the brain, uh, and right through to exposures that we don't realize we're having. All of these things can be at play when we're experiencing any kind of cognitive issues. And it is much better for you and your family and friends and loved ones to detect this long before a diagnosis. So my heart goes out to anyone who has a cognitive uh, health issue in and, and diagnosis of Alzheimer's in their family. Uh, I highly recommend you get in touch with these two shows as your starting point. And of course, Dale's two books. Um, to start you on your journey. So I wanted to recap for that show because I think it is an extremely important one for us all to listen to. And now I'm going to tell you who we've got today. So another health topic uh, as we round out this little series on important health topics. And I have Dr. Melina Roberts, a naturopathic doctor, author of Building a Healthy Child and founder of Advanced Naturopathic Medical Center in Calgary, Canada. She's recognized as one of the top biological medicine practitioners in Northern America. And uh, that is in part due to the fact that she not only got her naturopathic doctor medical degree, but also studied uh, a two-year post-grad study in biological medicine uh, in Switzerland. And she talks a little bit about that and how seminal it was to how she practiced medicine uh, really fascinating stuff. I love biomed. I think it's a very interesting field and I think it can help us understand our bodies and why certain reactions happen between different parts of the body, different biochemistry pathways, etc. Super interesting. So t- in today's chat, we talk about digestive health uh, and we look at uh, many different aspects of that, obviously the microbiome, uh, we look at uh, a bit of a 101 refresher. So this is really great if you're always feeling a bit too silly to ask questions. We answer them today. We look at gut permeability. We look at the different types of foods, chemical, agricultural inputs, other environmental toxins that are Im- Im- impactful when it comes to gut lining integrity. And uh, we also look at uh, histamines. We look at um, stomach acid, digestive enzymes, and, and really just a great overall look at what we could be doing to do better by our guts and make sure we protect their health and, uh, keep ourselves healthy given the many links between the gut and the brain, uh, for example, and the immune system as well. So I hope you enjoy today's show. I just wanted to thank all of our new Lotox club members. Uh, it's wonderful having you guys all there. We've been looking at the topic of immunity this month in the club and in the members dashboard, you receive a wonderful big ebook every single month on that topic of the month. And uh, you also have a whole bunch of other options, such as 50% off all of our courses, uh, excluding the Lotox Method program and Thrive. Uh, but we, uh, Lotox Life, have nine courses, so there's plenty to choose from depending on the goals you have. And I uh, just wanted to give you a shout out to our new members and welcome any members who are thinking of joining us this weekend. Go do it. It is so inexpensive. And the reason I've done that is because I just want a beautiful big community in there celebrating Lotox living together and supporting each other. And the beautiful thing about a paid membership is that the Facebook group is so supportive and positive. It just 
excludes all of the trolls. They're just not there and people can have respectful, safe conversations, ask advice, and it's just wonderful to see it take shape. So come join the Lotox Club. You can do that uh, via the lotoxlife.com website. Hit the Explore tab and join the club is the very first option and it's $49 Australian per year. So, uh, and of course, all of those benefits. So come join us. I look forward to seeing you there. Uh, Enjoy this discussion with uh, Dr. Melina Roberts. I really uh, loved what she had to say. And uh, here's to happy, healthy guts. You know, when we get that right, a lot of other things fall into place as well. So I look forward to hearing how you enjoyed this interview and I'll see you on the other side. Hello, Melina. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here. First show of the year. Exciting. Always nice to kick off a new season. Uh, And I uh, saw you posting last year some really valuable information around the electrical systems of the body. And I had been wanting to do a show on that for a little while. So I took it as synchronicity, reached out, (laughs) and here we are. Um, so for the people who aren't familiar yet with your work, we did a great show on gut health last year, which was huge. So many people found it so useful to go back to those basics and really understand what was going on and how to optimize gut health. Um, but they might not have listened to that show. So if you could give us a a quick rundown on what led you to practice the kind of medicine you practice today, I find it always interesting for people to understand doctors why. Yeah, so my story goes back to my childhood and being a kid who had really bad allergies and eczema and I'd break out in rashes to everything I ate and I would itch my skin until it would bleed and I just thought that that's the way life just was going to be and I just had to learn to live with it and when I was about 13 a family friend said to my parents you know you should try taking her to see a naturopathic doctor and they brought me to see a naturopathic doctor and all of my allergies cleared up so to me it was like magic um because I didn't really understand how it all worked Mm. um and that you know that was sort of my first um realization that the body had this ability to be able to heal itself so so that led me to wanting to become a doctor because I wanted to be able to help people like myself so so that they didn't have to end up with the kind of health issues that I had to go through. Mm. So that was um, what led me on the path to naturopathic medicine. And then um, when I was in my second year of the naturopathic college, my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And this was super tough for me and um, devastating news. And I, but what I started to do is I just started to dive into research in terms of how to treat cancer. And I was amazed by how much research was out there mm. and wasn't being utilized. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't able to help my dad. Uh, he passed away nine short months later, but that led me on the path to treating a lot of chronic disease and cancer and and looking at it from a, definitely a different perspective than a lot of my colleagues. So mm. that's, yeah, that's really um, how I, and then, you know, I've been practicing, I don't know, this has been 16 years later. Yeah. Now, yeah. Just my practice has evolved. Over yeah. Time. 
I can imagine. Um, It's interesting uh, that you say your practice has evolved. I see that with so many practitioners who you start out thinking you're going to do one thing and then people from certain groups just find you and then you end up kind of evolving into their needs and it's um it, it's such an incredible profession so thank you for being a, a doctor who is um utilizing the research as you say there's just so much yeah imagine if we utilize the research on nutrient deficiency during a pandemic for goodness sakes like <laughs> it's crazy absolutely yes. nuts um anyway that's that's a whole separate conversation so today i want to ask you what do we need to know? Let's do a bit of a 101 on electricity and the body. Okay, so this is really interesting to me, and I think it's a real paradigm shift for a lot of people, is understanding that our bodies are these electrical systems and that every system in our body needs this electrical charge in order for it to function properly. So really, like, Every system of our body needs voltage. And if we don't have enough voltage in our system, then we will end up with disease processes. And so we understand this from like a physical point of view. And we understand this in terms of the nervous system. So we have like the this spinal cord that comes down from the brain. And then that spinal cord has all of these nerve roots that supply every single cell in our body. And we need that whole nervous system to be functioning optimally in order for our systems to work well. Mm. And what we know is that, um, we'd have like an electrical current, um, and how we get that electrical current is actually the movement of electrons. And I would say that the the conventional system also understands that we have like electromagnetic currents that go throughout the body. So they do different testing like EKGs um, that will check the heart and then EEGs that will check the brain function. And then they'll even do things like um, MRIs, which are looking at like the magnetic parts of the um, magnetic imaging. And what we know about healthy cells is that healthy cells um, actually operate at a specific voltage. So they operate at this voltage of um, negative 20 to 25 millivolts. Um, And we need that in order for our cells to be healthy. And And how do we measure that? So these are like smart scientists that are basically just going in and, and checking the voltage of our wow. cells, which, which is pretty cool. So then we know that there's actually an electrical current in that, mm-hmm. in that system. Um, we also know that for healthy cells, that the healthy cells actually have more electrons. And with that, when they have more electrons, they have a higher pH, they're more alkaline. And an unhealthy cell will have less electrons and lower pH and will be more acidic. So that's where we kind of talk about, sometimes we talk about the electron, we talk about acidic and alkaline, and it definitely relates to voltage as well. Um, Our cells are, they're really like little capacitors. So like little batteries. So they, they hold an electrical charge. And they also are able to produce this uh, electromagnetic frequencies. So it's, and what we see is that when that electromagnetic frequency decreases, that's when we see a decrease in health. 
And the other thing that we also see and that they're also able to measure is this transmembrane voltage. So it's the voltage across that actual cell membrane. And so for a healthy cell, a healthy cell's voltage is between uh, 70 and 100 millivolts, whereas someone who has like chronic disease, um, that that transmembrane uh, voltage is a maybe between 30 to 50. And then someone who's in a cancerous state, like that voltage is actually quite low. It's between like 15 to 20 millivolts. So you can see that if we don't have enough voltage in the body that we, we can't maintain our body's health. So mm -hmm. that's, that's just a kind of a generalized understanding, just understanding that this whole body in order for it to function well, we need good electricity and good voltage going through our systems. Hmm. And um, something that was interesting when you talked about alkaline and acidity uh, as it relates to voltage, it got me thinking straight away about electrolyte balance. Yeah. So is that... Um, one of the like one of the important things we need to maintain to maintain a healthy electrical system in the body for sure and mm. yeah we our bodies need good raw material and one of those major raw materials is those electrolytes and minerals that typically we get from the earth that we get those from the earth um, through our foods in a lot of cases and you know, in an ideal world, our foods are highly um, mineralized. Mm. The challenge is, is that, you know, with the, the overuse of um, pesticides and herbicides, we have mineral deficient soils. And it means that we also have mineral deficient uh, fruits and vegetables. And so then when we're taking it in, we are also ending up with the deficiencies of high amounts of great high quality minerals and electrolytes that help to support the voltage of our systems. Wow. And that's just not really talked about very much, is it? In, no, in definitely sense. not from an electrical point. Yeah. Of yeah. Fascinating. And so um, what are some of the things that can obviously interfere with our electrical system and, and send it haywire? We talked about the mineral deficiency in the soils Hit us up with all the things that we probably already know, yeah. but it's so good to just link them back to yet another layer of why these things are important. Yeah. So I, I did talk about that first one, which is that poor diet. So mm. um, you want a diet that has high amounts of mineral content in it in order to feed that electrical system. And you also want to give your body building proper building blocks in order to do repairs within your body. So good, healthy fats and good, healthy proteins. Um, so a poor diet that's filled with processed foods and a whole bunch of chemicals would definitely contribute to um, a poor electrical circulation throughout the body. Um, lack of exercise. Um, exercise is an extremely important part of building up the proper electricity in our system. It's also a way that um, we move our lymphatic system and we help to move toxic loads out of our body so mm -hmm. that um, basically our nervous system isn't swimming in a swamp, that we actually move that toxic load out of our system. Um, the other one is, you know, those harmful EMF fields that we could be 
um, exposed to. And, you know, they're, they're tough to get away from in our modern world, mm. but that can definitely be affecting how our nervous system is working and that electrical system having toxic chemicals that are coming into our body can be interfering in that electrical system. And um, that would be things like even just like um, air pollution, but we can also be taking in those toxic chemicals from the foods that we're eating. And, you know, they're sprayed with the pesticides, herbicides, insecticides, Mm -hmm. glyphosates. And this can all contribute to an electrical system that isn't working properly. And that can also lead to ill health. Mm. And uh, how does uh, our electrical system affect our hormones? Like I'm thinking if we look after our electrical systems, does that help us look after our hormone balance better? So the interesting thing about hormones is that um, what hormones actually are, our hormones are cell to cell communicators. Mm-hmm. So they need to be, um, they need to be communicating with each other. Now, if these cells are in an environment where there's a lot of toxic load um, between those cells, then we can't get proper communication happening between these cells. And this can be a contributing factor to, to, you know, it would show up as in clinically as a hormone imbalance because mm. those cells can't properly communicate. And this can also contribute to, to having a lot of like hormonal symptoms showing up. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of the stuff that, um, that you talk about as well is like cleaning up that environment, decreasing that toxic load that's coming into the body, but then making sure that that toxic load comes out of our body as well. So that, so that these cells can actually properly communicate with each other. And that's how it would relate to hormonal imbalances. Mm, interesting. Um, and heartbeats. So I'd imagine there's a lot to be said for um, various issues with the heart and electrical systems. Well, I think that that can also be related to, um, like, if you look at that transmembrane, um, that transmembrane voltage that I was talking about Mm. earlier, um, like a normal voltage is between 70 and 100. But the actual heart, that voltage needs to be between 90 and 100. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so, that, so the heart actually needs a higher amount of voltage in order for it to function well. And so that means, you know, that the electricity in our systems have to be really strong. And this can also be a reason why we see irregular heartbeats. Um, and also it could be contributing factor to a high amount of heart disease that we see. And that's, you know, one of the leading causes of, of death, right? So it's, and it can be related to, to problems with that electricity going through it, your system and that proper voltage. Mm. So can I just ask a heart um, tangent question then? Because a lot of people, especially around perimenopause, people all of a sudden start noticing their heartbeat. They've never even really noticed it before outside of maybe exercise. Um, I know when I had uh, mold illness, SIRS, Um, I had all sorts of crazy things happening to my heart. Um, And I went to a cardiologist and they said it was fine. And I I was like, I'm pretty sure this isn't fine. Um, And um, and, uh, and really fine to them meant there was no 
um, atherosclerosis, you know, there were no blocked arteries, there was, I could do a stress test, that was all fine, which granted that's okay, but obviously a, a root cause issue wasn't being addressed that was still causing irregularities in the heart that maybe didn't look dangerous, but um, were certainly causing a whole bunch of anxiety and discomfort because it was so abnormal to my experience. And I know speaking to perimenopausal women, they seem to start to experience a few issues around heartbeat and noticing their heartbeat. So um, can it be said then, if we pay extra special attention to our electrolyte balance, our mineral content in our food, uh, lowering our toxic load, that these are really beautiful ways to support a normal heart by a cardiologist's definition, but when you know it's not quite right for you, that helps you get things um, humming again, so to speak. Well, like I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of a connection with those. Uh, you know, you're talking about mold and biotoxins, mm. and um, and then the heart rate is is controlled by something called the autonomic nervous system. Mm. And th there's a really interesting connection with this. Um, so. I know, I think we talked about it probably on our, our last talk. I talked a lot about gut health yeah. and I'm going to put this all together for you. So, awesome. so we, we have, so, um, in terms of that gut health, um, within that lining of the gut, you have these tight junctions. And if you have injury to those tight junctions, you get food that's not completely digested ends up in the bloodstream. And that we end up with a whole immune reaction that happens. So the immune system just um, starts to uh, really just wake up and, um, and can overcompensate, right? And so that's what's happening. You know, things can come into the bloodstream this way through our gut. Now, we also have this thing called our blood-brain barrier, and the blood-brain barrier is a protective mechanism for our nervous system. But the cells that line that blood-brain barrier are held together by tight junctions. And the toxins that are coming in into our bloodstream can actually injure those tight junctions. And then they gain access to the nervous system. And then they can be affecting how that nervous system is functioning. So this is where um, things like, uh, like any sort of biotoxins or mycotoxins or molds can actually gain access to the nervous system and affect how that nervous system is functioning. So this can, you know, we can see this in relationship to um, changes in terms of the heart rate. Mm. We can see this in changes of like people have that brain fog, things that mm. they just can't focus and concentrate as well. Um, and in terms of that, you know, that autonomic nervous system can definitely be affected in terms of um, have ending up with a toxic load that's ending up in the nervous system. So it kind of relates to, to uh, um, how those toxic loads end up in our body and then in our nervous system and can affect that function of the proper of the nervous system. Yeah, huge. And, and so other than um, not other than because obviously, it's very obvious that we need to decrease the, uh, the exposure to that biotoxin, whether it's extreme VOCs because you paint boats for a living or you're living in a moldy house or 
um, you've uh, got Lyme disease, you know, there's so Bartonella, so many different things. Um, other than eliminating the exposure, what are some of your key interventions to um, repair the junctions of the blood brain barrier? Because we don't, we don't talk about that that much. We've been talking about the gut tight junctions for years. <laughs> it seems like it's part of the health, uh, integrative health lexicon for everyone. Um, but we don't really talk about fixing the blood brain barrier much. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was doing some research and uh, about um, the gut brain connection and was coming across a lot of interesting stuff. And then the gut brain microbiome connection. So, mm. which is super interesting because we always thought that it was like a top down um, communication where, you know, your brain tells everything else what to do, but we're actually finding out that the microbiome has a bottom up um, a, a in terms of communication with the brain. So what's going on in the gut can actually communicate with what's going on in the brain. And you're like, well, how does it do that? Mm. Um, and in that research, I also was learning, seeing um, that we're talking about the blood brain barrier and that blood brain barrier is held together with those tight junctions. Uh, but the same way that you heal the lining of your digestive tract in those tight junctions in the gut is the same way you would heal the, um, the blood blood brain barrier but that's the reason why why you see why you see access to um to the brain and the nervous system um with a lot of the toxins that we're seeing within the body fascinating um wow okay that's huge thanks for answering <laughs> that i was just genuinely interested in what you'd come across um so are there signs other than to do with the heart that we can um, clock whether our electrical system is underperforming in our body? So, you know, like one of the ways that I assess the uh, uh, that electrical system in the body is doing something uh, called heart rate variability testing. Uh -huh. And so... Um, we have an autonomic nervous system um, and it's controlling, it's an unconscious part of our nervous system. And there's two parts of that nervous system. There's your stress state. So your run away from a tiger part of that nervous system. And then there's another part of your nervous system call, um, called your parasympathetic nervous system, which controls your rest, digest, repair, detoxification. And, and those ones actually need to be in balance in order for your system to be able to function well. And really like it's, we call it like the accelerator and the brake of your car. Cause you can only be in one gear at a time, but this is an excellent way to assess the nervous system because this is an unconscious part of the nervous system. So this, you know, this is one of the ways that I'll assess it in my practice is just to figure out, um, where the system is. And um, in terms of heart rate variability, what should happen is that we should actually have a lot of variability between heartbeats. Um, and that is the autonomic nervous system um, making slight, small changes between every heartbeat. And the more that it makes changes, the healthier that nervous system is. So that's <laughs> one way to, for us to be able to really assess how that, um, how that nervous system's functioning. Mm -hmm. That would explain why my heart rate variability is quite low. 
<laughs> after everything I've been through, I'm yeah. still very much in repair mode. I think it averages around low 20s, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so and where do we want it to be? So, it, and it's really individual, mm. right? So the challenge with that is that um, what you want to do is kind of figure out where your baseline is gotcha. and then work on improving that, mm. right? So so for you, your baseline might be 20. And, and if you can make some changes and try to improve that to 40, mm. then that would actually be um, a really great change for you, but mm. someone who is uh, like a competitive athlete, yeah. um, then they, you know, then they're maybe closer to 80 to a hundred, yeah. um, as their norm. And maybe, you know, as their system is gets better, then they might be even a little bit higher than that. So, mm. so, um, I think it's also very important not to compare your HRVs. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, I, was, no. <laughs> um, I have a friend who's got a, um, an Oura ring as well. And yeah. he is a, you know, a, like a totally ripped doctor over in the States. Like <laughs> he's been on the show a couple of times and I was like, oh my God, look at his HRV. And I did like <laughs> the full comparison-itis. Um, but then when I researched, I was like, ah, okay, yes, we're all different. That's right. Even yeah, women to men, very important yeah, exactly. thing and to know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially women to men, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't want to be comparing that. Mm. Um, but, but on that note, but it also does give you an idea that um, that, that your system has been under stress for a long period of time. So yeah. it's not as adaptable as it would be, um, once you start to improve that whole electrical system in your, your body. Mm. And so, well, let's go there then. How can we start to improve it? Where do you start with a patient when you know that this aspect is wrong? Because it seems like it's, um, one of the real pillars of a root cause treatment situation to address this? Um, so in terms of uh, starting with like just trying to regulate that autonomic nervous system mm -hmm. and help people so they're not constantly in that stress state, um, one of the tools that we'll use a lot at our practice is um, something called heart math. So it's usually using your breath in order to control, um, control that nervous system. And, um, you know, we used to, we used to like have these machines that we'd have to like rent out to patients. Now it's like so easy. You just like buy this little thing that clips to your ear and, um, and buy a little app and, or I don't yeah. think you even have to buy the app, the app. No, free. it just syncs with the, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's so great because it gives you some biofeedback and you can actually just train your nervous system mm. to, um, to get into a more coherent state, which yeah, is um, I remember a, a low we, stress state. The heart math guys partner with, uh, the wonderful Dr. Joe Dispenza on his retreats. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I was at his advanced retreat last year and, um, and they were doing heart math experiments. So certain students would, would clip one on and they would be read during like the four hour pineal gland meditation. Um, and uh, the results were just incredible. Um, when you worked on coherence through meditation, uh, the results for the autonomic nervous system improvement were like instant within an hour or two, incredible. 
Yeah, it's amazing because they've done some studies on it that show that if you do it for, and I might be quoting this incorrectly, but it's something like you, you do it for like 10 minutes a day for 30 days and it, it can improve that heart rate variability by, by a large percentage. Right. Mm. So it's, it's, you know, you're, it's not very much that you have to do to get that um, huge change in that nervous system. I went from mid teens in HRV last year to really starting to focus on meditation. And now I'm in early, like low twenties, mid twenties. And I really feel like it's just an upwards trajectory, but you have to want to commit to improving that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause we just live in a fast paced world mm. and most people are kind of stuck in that sympathetic state. We're in that stress state. So we're just trying to train the body to be able to know how to shift into parasympathetic mm. and you know, it's, it's, it's a good, good life lesson that we should all learn to do. <laughs> it is. And I'll just give like a, a very um, topical example. Uh, I used to conduct my interviews. I would, I would just be so excited to talk and I'd be asking all the questions and we'd go, go, go. And I would notice that my nervous system was just so primed at the end of an interview. And I would take like some time, like it would be like as if I'd been at a dance party as a teenager. And then you take like a few hours to just like calm down afterwards and go to sleep. That would be what my nervous system would feel like after interviews. And you haven't noticed this, Melina, but at least seven or eight times already during our chat, while you've been given giving the longer answers, and I know it's going to be a longer answer coming up, I focus on my breathing and just being really present. And it has been a completely different experience. I just don't have that whole jacked up feeling at the end of um, interviews anymore. And of course, I know the reason that happened was a dysregulated autonomic nervous system in the first place, you know, mast cells all primed and and lots of things contributing to overload. But um, uh, just for anyone listening today who thinks, oh my gosh, now I've got to get an app and I've got to do these things, I've got to do it every day. You can actually micro relax. It can just find those little pockets to take deep breaths, start owning them. And it's incredible what even that does to make a difference. Yeah. And I tell my patients that all the time, like, you know, like they can, it's not like they need to like put aside 10 minutes to do some deep breathing exercises. You could be doing it while you're driving and you're stopped at a stoplight, right? Mm, Yeah. Focus and do some deep breathing. Or if you're out for a walk, then incorporate some deep breathing as you do that walk. So it doesn't, you know, or you could be, you know, as you fold some laundry, focus on doing some deep breaths. So yeah, you don't have to actually like put aside some time. You can just actually incorporate it into your day and you're just training that nervous system to be able to go into relaxed state when it needs to. Yeah, absolutely. I love that tip. Okay. So what else do you recommend to patients? So, um, I'm like, I think, I feel like I went through all of it. Oh, I know what we're going to go through my three, my top three. Yes, please. Let's do <laughs> Cause that. Cause I talked about, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll go through my top three. So, um, well, cause I'm thinking, oh, well, you got to clean up the diet. We got to like, right. <laughs> Exercise. Um, so the top three things to, um, helping with the electricity flow, one would be making sure that we drink enough clean water. So our water supply, um, 
I know that our like city water is filled with um, chlor chlorine and you just want to make sure that you use some sort of filtration device that takes that chlorine out. And what we know is that um, water is uh, conducting of electricity and in the body in terms of that electrical system, um, how those electrons move between cells is through a basically a water uh, medium. So we got to make sure that that medium is actually quite clean. And how we do that is make sure that we're drinking enough clean water. So that's uh, one major one. And can I ask on that point, uh, it's, it's just something that doesn't seem to be simple for people in terms of making that clean water choice. Like you have all these targeting ads telling you this filter, that filter. No, it's got to be hydrogen water. No, it's got to be Zazen water. No, it's got to be, you know, Kangen water. Like what, what do you recommend to your patients? And is hydrogen water um, a bit bogus or is this a useful thing for people to be drinking? Um, so I'm going to say that I haven't done enough research into hydrogen okay. water to know, mm -hmm. to be able to answer that, mm -hmm. um, adequately. And, um, like for my patients, I'm just saying, find, a like really a simple filtration device that takes out chlorine. That's the number one. You, That's yeah, the one you, you're you most can, important. You're yeah, exactly. Focused on. Mm -hmm. Like, and usually it's just like a, a carbon filter, mm -hmm. um, will take that out. Um, and then, you know, if you get more into water, then you can get some better filtration systems. But mm -hmm. at the very least, we want chlorine out. Great. It's so good to just have a simple priority for everybody to focus on. And that means you can access some actually really inexpensive filters to do yeah. that job. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. For a big win. Okay. What's number two? Number two is um, you want to make sure that you are taking in minerals. So we talked about that a little bit earlier as well. And the minerals, you need those minerals for really every biochemical reaction in the body. I think we talk about minerals in terms of like the macro type of minerals. Like we talk about like calcium and magnesium, but we also need these trace minerals. So the, the minerals in really small amounts and they drive really every biochemical reaction in our body. And they also help to support that um, electrolyte, uh, electrolyte balance and that all the movement of the electrons. And um, really we need proper minerals in order for us to have um, good electrical flow in our body. So minerals is another huge one. So can I ask again on that point, um, <laughs> Uh, supplementation, if someone wanted to perhaps shop around online and grab a good mineral supplement, you know, knowing, for example, in Australia, we have terrible zinc levels in our soils, for example, or, um, uh, or maybe you've just been mineral deficient because you've been on a standard American or Australian diet for a long time and you need to build back up. What is a, a bit of a safe guideline? You know, um, often you see iron-free as if that might be a feature. Is it? Um, you see citrate malate. Can you help us choose a good multi-mineral if we were to add that into our daily practices? Um, I know it's, it's a challenging world when it comes mm, to the supplement world. And because um, what you'd be looking for is like a trace mineral and okay. you want to see where that trace mineral is coming from. A lot of them would be like, ideally you'd want it either coming from like 
and organic vegetables mm -hmm. sources. Um, but there are also some sources that come from um, like ocean sources as well. Mm. So where you can get all of your trace minerals, but you got to make sure that it's a, like a mineral rich um, ocean source. So um, I know it's a, it's a tough question for, um, for, for, you know, the public trying to pick out um, supplements because, mm -hmm. you know, every supplement is not created equal, no. but, um, yeah, what you'd, what you'd be looking for is a trace mineral. And, okay. and those little ones that you would like add to the drop, add a little drop or two to the water. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, okay. exactly. Yeah. Great. Thank you for that advice. Number three. Number three is, um, is having good, high quality sleep. Um, so it's not just the quantity of sleep. It's not just like the amount of time that you're in bed, but you actually want to help your body to have the best quality of sleep. And the reason for this is that sleep is like recharging your battery. So uh, the same way that we plug in our our phones at night in order to recharge them, we need to recharge our, our bodies. And one of the best ways that we can recharge that body is by having um, good high quality sleep. Mm. So, so there's, I know lots that go into high quality sleep, but, but that's what you're aiming for, for great electrical balance. And did you place that in number three? Uh, I'm just thinking my own experience where I literally could not sleep for a stretch longer than two hours when I was at the height of SIRS because I would wake up with crazy palpitations even if I just rolled over, that was like my body going into danger mode. Like what's just happened? Crazy level of um, nervous system dysregulation is the reason you place that at one, two, three, because you kind of have to work on your nervous system and your mineral balance to start to actually give the body the sign that it can rest and relax and sleep properly. Yeah. And, and that's just, you know, it's just understanding that, you know, you need those specific components mm. in order to um, help support that whole um, really electrical system of our body. And um, I know that the challenges, you know, for, for, you know, a cr chronic disease state and that, that electrical potential is just low in your system, that sleep ends up being a challenge point too. So that's mm. why I said it's, it's, it can be a challenge point for some people. They're like, okay, well, it sounds nice that you're telling me that I need a good night's <laughs> sleep, yeah. but you know, I, I try and I can't get it. And so that's, um, you know, that's where, you know, a lot more goes into having a good night's sleep than, mm -hmm. than just telling people to go have good, yeah, good night's 100%. sleep. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. And I think, you know, it's kind of like telling a, a pregnant woman who's eight months old, just get as much sleep as you can now. It's like, you want me to try and sleep in this state? And it can actually really become this triggering, annoying thing. It's just like, stop telling me to do the one thing I can't do right now. Um, so I think, you know, we just come back to all those things that help line us up for a good night's sleep. You might not be starting with the good night's sleep. You might be starting with all the things that are going to help you get that good night's sleep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's all those things, right? It's, um, trying to focus on getting that sleep hygiene 
back mm. into balance, you know, making sure that your room is completely dark, that the temperature is low, that um, just like slightly below room temperatures, like you're sleeping in a cave um, that, you know, a non moldy cave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> and yeah. And yeah, you want to make sure that it's uh, dark and quiet and um, you know, and sometimes it's, you know, a matter of, you know, I know one of the things that really helped me to get more deep sleep was to stop eating for three hours before I went to bed. Yeah, so, that's huge. So like all, all these like little tactics, but things that will actually make a significant difference in terms of good, good night's sleep. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm going to ask, just circle back to exercise, because that can be a really confusing point as well. And I don't want someone finishing this show thinking, she said to exercise, but I don't know what, like, does that mean, you know, tennis five times a week? Uh, that's what I love to do. Um, but I also know because I have been through this extremely stressful uh, time in my physical um, health, that I need a lot more restorative exercise. And I find restorative yoga is really what helps me swing the pendulum back the other way. Um, how do we know what exercise really is gonna help us uh, to balance our body out? Yeah, and it's, it's a good question because I think that, um, you know, your examples are great. And the, yeah, cause you, you it, the, same exercise for the same person is, is not necessarily what we want. But um, first of all, it's realizing that the body is designed to move. So the more we move, the better our body is going to function. And um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be doing like vigorous exercise every day um, in order for our bodies to function well. I think that um, one of the things that's really important is that we listen to our bodies. And one of the ways that we can kind of gauge the exercise is um, when you exercise, do you, after you exercise, do you feel more tired after exercising or do you have more energy after exercising? So if you exercise and you feel exhausted after it, it means that you are actually wearing your system down and this exercise is actually not being beneficial to your system. So this is where you either have to decrease the amount of exercise you're doing or decrease the intensity of the exercise you're doing. So really listening to our bodies, which, you know, in general, we're not very good at doing. <laughs> and, um, and then if you are, if you're feeling more energized after exercising, then that's a good sign that that's an exercise that's actually um, beneficial for your system. So, um, so yeah, I think you've got to gauge it and we've got to listen to our bodies. Absolutely. And uh, I'm a tennis nutter, like it's my absolute favorite sport ever. And so um, something I also noticed was when I stopped trying to push myself in the context of like doing pump classes at the gym, because I felt that I should, and I would feel exhausted. And then I would take four days before my muscles stopped hurting and I just, I just knew it wasn't right at that time in my life. 
um, I took up tennis instead. And so it took the pressure of all of that weight training out of the cardio context. Um, and I was still getting exhausted, but I was like, oh my gosh, I love tennis. I don't want to quit. And so what I do with my coach is instead of doing something like the serves right at the end, which are the lower impact, lower intensity, you know, you're just practicing your serve a few times. We put that in the middle of the hour so that I have this big 10, 15 minute kind of heart rest in halfway through, and then I'm good to go again. And it has changed everything. So I think sometimes if you're really loving a particular type of exercise, Sometimes it's about actually changing up how you do it and how long you do it for, how long the bursts of activity are for, um, and to really experiment, I have found personally, um, because you wouldn't want to stop something you love as well. I think that's really important to mental health. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's great um, to switching it up, especially sticking to things that you love. And I think that it's also important for people to know that um, that they also shouldn't do exercises that they don't enjoy. Because mm. <laughs> oh sometimes gosh, people yes. are doing exercises because they think it's good for them, but they don't enjoy it. And there's some studies that show that if you do an exercise and actually enjoy that exercise, that you actually reap the benefits of it. Whereas if you're doing an exercise and aren't enjoying it, then you actually don't get benefits from it. And I was like, oh, that's such interesting research because you think that if two people who are doing the same exercise, that they're gonna get the same outcomes, but, um, but there's actually a psychological difference to it. And, and that can make it so that, you know, like if you're running just because you think that running is healthy, um, but you hate every minute of it, you're actually not going to get a benefit from it. So, yeah. so I think that that's also important to take into consideration. Yes. Yeah, so important. And I used to do uh, weights and begrudge the weights, but now I do weights thinking this is going to help my forehand be stronger. <laughs> and it's a completely different mindset. Yeah. Yeah, so I think sure. often we let go of these childhood sports as I did. I didn't play for 20 years. Um, and uh, it's for the simple fact that people don't organize sport for you anymore and you don't have the team kind of structure built into your uh, adult life. Um, and it can be such a gift to try and um, remember what you actually really enjoyed when it comes to exercise growing up yeah. and, and find yeah. it again. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, bit of a tangent, I know, but I think a lot of people struggle with exercise and that it, it's become such a have to. And again, it's all these programs get targeted at you and making you think you have to do that one, you have to do this one and just come back to finding the joy in it again and thinking about what that is for you and start there. Mm. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to ask about was uh, grounding, earthing, um, immersing ourselves in nature, forest bathing, as the Japanese call it. Um, how beneficial is this to looking after our electrical system? Yeah, it can be hugely beneficial. And I'm, I love that there's research on this now. To I know, it. right? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and well, what we know is that the earth naturally has a high amount of electrons to it. And so when we come in contact with the earth, so this is going barefoot on the earth. So either it's on sand or ground, so not on cement we want to be in contact with the earth, 
um, what we know is that electrons will naturally flow from an area of high concentration to an area of low concentration. So what can happen is because the earth is so rich in these electrons, it has a high concentration of electrons. When we come in contact with it, the electrons will actually flow right into our bodies. And so this actually helps to increase the voltage, increase the electrons, increase our body's electricity um, just by doing this. And again, this is something that our bodies are actually meant to be doing. Mm. It's just that we live in, you know, a, a concrete jungle <laughs> and shoes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so we don't come in contact with the earth as often as we should be. Mm. Ah, so important. And what a great thing to finish on. What a great thing to start the year on. Get back into nature at every opportunity. Thanks, uh, Melina. You are a wealth of knowledge. Uh, it's been wonderful having you back on the show again. Uh, can you tell us where we can find you so that everybody can connect to your work? I love what you share on Instagram, by the way. I think it's just become an amazing platform for us to access incredible doctors around the world. Thanks. Um, so the places where you can find me um, is my website, which is advancednaturopathic.com. And then the place where I hang out the most on social media is Instagram. And my handle there is Dr. Melina, M-E-L-I-N-A Roberts. And, um, and I'm always sharing lots of health tips and um, lots of information on there. If you're interested, that's the place to follow me. Awesome. I wish you a beautiful 2021. And thanks again for joining me on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at Lotox Life or one word, or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life. Uh, and of course, lowtoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low-Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 Euro and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.